Welcome back to another information-packed episode of Vertical Playpen. In this episode, we're going to be focusing on communication. And in that discussion, Anne Louise, who is our guest host today, is going to be interviewing Ryan McCormick, who's our Director of Edger Leadership, and also Mike Anderson, who is an educational consultant and has also written many books on communication in the classroom. You can find more information about Mike at his website, leadinggreatlearning.com. That's leadinggreatlearning.com. And you can also find two of his books now available on our website. Those books are Learning to Choose, Choosing to Learn, and What We Say and How We Say It Matter. I hope you get as much out of it as I did when I listened to it. Thanks, everyone, and enjoy. What I'm really grateful for is having both Ryan McCormick, who's the director of Edge of Leadership, as well as Mike Anderson, who's a passionate educator working with schools and students um, and educators, and also the author of What We Say and How We Say It Matter. And both of these individuals are going to be able to shed light on how we teach about communication to students, as well as how teachers can communicate really strategically in ways that align with what they're really trying to do, the goal and the environment that they're trying to create in their classrooms. So with all of that, I would love to give you both a chance to introduce yourselves. And I would love to add to that introduction, if you're willing, to maybe share about your favorite form of communication being either the way you like to receive information or messages or ways that you like to share. Would someone like to go first? <laughs> yeah, I'll go first. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say what we were just doing that. Is there a finger on the nose or who's going to go first here <laughs> between me, and Mike and myself? I think visuals. I, I love to get into like, Anne-Louise, you use this. I know we both share the, the love of the infographic, uh, taking something really complex and trying to lay it out. Yeah, it's just fun. It allows me also to draw and be creative in that sense. But then it's it's how do you take something complex and simplify it down? Um, and do it sort of through pictures. I think it, as a kid, I was that kid who wanted pictures in books. Like, oh, is there pictures in that? So I love visuals. And the more, I don't know, subtle is the right word, but the more depth in a simple image, or the more you can sort of capture in something that, that's really simple. Is, I, I love that stuff. All right. Hey there. So my name is Mike Anderson. And as Anne Louise said, I'm a lifetime educator, passionate educator. I taught third, fourth, and fifth grades for 15 years and then I've also done a lot of staff leadership work. I've been um, consulting now around the United States and beyond for quite a while. I've also had many other roles in education. I got to work in a preschool program all through my undergraduate years. I've coached high school and age group swim teams. I've taught graduate level classes. So I've had all kinds of fun experiences in education. And I kind of feel like my favorite form of communication is going to feel kind of boring. <laughs> um, I like to talk and I like to talk with people. It's not just talking at, but I love to talk with people. And just mm. before coming up to my office to record this podcast, my daughter said to me downstairs, so dad, what are you doing now? And I said, oh, I'm doing a podcast, you know, talking with some people about, about communication. And she kind of scrunched up her nose like, "Ugh." And I said, actually, it's going to be fun for me. I like to talk. <laughs> nice. So I, I love visuals. I love video. I love uh, graphics. But person-to-person -person interactive communication is probably my favorite kind. 
design is a big part of the work that I do for High Five. So taking these the, the concepts of the work we do and facilitation, that's also a big part of my role, which is sort of the, the second career uh, apart <laughs> from actually working with people. And I, I think people would, would say I like to talk as well. <laughs> yeah. So I know at High Five, when we have opportunities to work with various teams, um, the number one thing when we ask folks, like, what, why do you want to work with us? What do you want to do um, and improve upon? The answer is communication. And I would trust based on your passion and your work, Mike, that you hear the same thing is that that's why people are coming to you. And as a starting place, I'm wondering if you'll be able to speak to Mike, if you want to start out, what do you think is like the biggest obstacle that people are facing when it comes to communicating effectively? One of the things that comes to mind is that I think that we we all as educators, as adults, have really good intentions when it comes to working with kids. We've got really positive goals for them. We want them to learn to be kind and thoughtful and respectful. We want them to be energized learners, to have motivation for the work that they're doing. But I think sometimes we accidentally use messaging that works against our, our good intentions. So I remember as a young teacher, when I felt the motivation in my class dropping, I would sometimes say, okay, everybody, if you can work really hard for the next 20 minutes, we'll, go, we'll, we'll do something fun afterwards. And I meant to do that to give a little jolt of energy to the room. And it often did, but without meaning to, I was actually sending the message that whatever we're doing in these next 20 minutes isn't fun. Because I was saying that, you know, after these 20 minutes, we're going to do something fun. So my, my intention was to, to have the learning be fun, but I was sometimes talking about learning in ways that made it sound not fun. Another example is, I think teachers often, we want our kids to own the work. We want them to feel like the work is theirs and it has sort of personal relevance for kids. But then we often talk about what we're doing in very teacher-centric ways. So we might say, okay, everyone, here's the next thing you're going to do for me in this activity. So as soon as we say, here's what you're going to do for mm -hmm. me, it's pretty clear where the ownership sits. So we may accidentally send the message that school is all about doing what teachers want even as we want the kids to feel motivation and energy around the work. So I think that's often a barrier is that we, we develop these habits and patterns of language that don't necessarily line up with the way we want kids to feel. And oftentimes that's unconscious, which makes it really hard to work on it if we don't even realize we're doing it. Yeah, I think it's interesting because in, in Mike's book, you talk a lot about the sort of subtle differences in your language um, and how people can interpret that. I think in our program, we are looking at communication almost in terms of problem solving or working together as students. And we spend a lot of time trying to draw some awareness around our tone. What else are we communicating? Like there's the words and the directions, but you know, you could say, you know, I need you to move over here. And then you could say, I need you to move over here. For me, like I, I've become more aware of just the tone and how I say it moved away from sort of the sarcasm that I thought was funny uh, and got out of my sort of own way as a barrier around, you know, this is how I communicate and spent more time thinking like, how do others hear this? Which is why I got so excited about what uh, your message in your book around even being able to dive deeper into the subtleties around what's what sort of the impact of what we're saying beyond just my tone or my sarcasm. There was some stuff in there. I was just like, wow, yeah, I've said that. So there was a lot to sort of take away from that. But I think it's just being aware of how we're communicating in terms of our tones and emotions 
we, we, we kind of pull those two things around emotional awareness and emotional management into our communication units They kind of bridge over and students start to realize like once we raise our tones or we're starting to communicate frustration that the process can easily start to break down and people are like, you could have the most amazing thing to say, but I'm not going to hear that right now. So, yeah. And that's, and it's so important that we model the kinds of tones mm-hmm. for students that we want them to use. I don't remember who it was that told me this early on in my career, but it really stuck with me. They said, um, little people's job is to watch big people to figure out how to be big people. So the message there was that we're always modeling, whether we mean to or not. You know, we're, we're going to be frustrated as adults sometimes, you know, working with 12-year-olds or 13-year-olds. It can be super frustrating. <laughs> so how are we modeling in those moments how to still communicate respectfully, even when we're feeling frustrated? Because very often the kids that we work with will, uh, will take on our tone. We are setting the tone for the room. And so they will fashion their own language after ours, whether intentionally or not, for better or for worse. I remember um, when I was teaching in East Lyme, Connecticut, there was one pod of teachers in our school where the kids moved within the pod. So all the first graders moved up to the second grade in that pod and the second graders moved to the third graders. And I remember Ruth Ann, the third grade teacher, she would always say, oh, I just love the beginning of the year because 25 little Garys walked through my classroom door because Gary was the second grade teacher and his language was exquisite, Mm. so respectful and kind and thoughtful. And so the students came into her room with that language habit because they'd picked it up the year before. And I remember teaching in a school once where I taught fifth grader, fifth graders and, um, a couple of the fourth grade teachers used really sneering sarcasm with kids, lots of put downs, lots of angry tones. And it would take two or three months into fifth grade before I would finally wean my fifth graders away from that kind of language with each other. Um, you know, I remember these two girls sitting at a table and working on math. And one of them said, what's seven times five. And the other one says, you don't know seven times five. You're so stupid. And I said, Oh, that's not the way we're going to talk this year in fifth grade. And they both looked at me and sort of were puzzled and said, oh, that's okay. We're friends. We talk like that to each other all the time. Mm. I said, well, that's fine outside the classroom. But inside the classroom, we're not going to use put downs like that. Um, And it was, you know, I don't know, November, December before finally that tone had dissipated. So I think it's so important that we pay attention to tone because we really do set the tone with our tone. I I can remember the first time even hearing my own daughter. She's 17 now, but when she was in sort of middle school, it was almost like hearing a recording of myself at times and how she dealt with frustration. And it was like, oh, you know, or her mom or whoever it was, the adults in her life, you start to see that like, oh, I don't know if that's, that's going to help you in life. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember one time when my son was little, he was having a tough interaction with Heather, my wife, and he was getting frustrated and he snapped his fingers and pointed his fingers at her. And we were like, whoa, what is that? Well, there was an adult in his school that that's how that adult got the attention of groups of kids. When groups were getting kind of loud, this adult had a really loud snap and he would snap his fingers and point at the children. And boy, you could feel how disrespectful that felt when all of a sudden the six-year-old was doing it at us. And I think that's a great lens for us to look through as we think about language and communication is, you know, how would it feel if we were on the receiving end of the communication that we're giving. Would it feel respectful? Would it feel kind? Would it feel empathic? And if not, then probably we want to Mm -hmm. do some reflecting about that.
how do we showcase that we have emotions and that we communicate that, but in a way that's supports learning and, and modeling being human and, and not necessarily shifting the tone or the environment in a way that's harmful. Yeah, I have, I have lots of thoughts, uh, kind of going back to the modeling piece that Mike just shared. We don't want to sort of model that we're either invincible or we're bottling things up or we're not managing stuff, but how do we actually model? And it's a great opportunity for those those younger eyes that are watching to see an adult that can can function and whether that's expressing that they're frustrated or they they need to take a time out whatever it might be i think it goes back to that modeling like how do you show good management of challenging emotions so that students can see like oh okay i i can be in a process with a group and maybe get frustrated or experience some difficult emotions and then work through that in a productive way where people's feelings aren't hurt you don't have to apologize for anything. Yeah, that you can work through that and say like, these emotions are going to exist and they're all okay. We, we say that a lot, right? They're All your emotions are okay. They're yours. It's what you do with it and how you manage it that really matters. So, you know, I think for each of us, it's different how we manage those emotions, being able to acknowledge it. And I've seen some some of the work we do in Keen as teachers sort of get wrap their head around that concept and start practicing it. They're starting to get really good. Um, at being able to manage emotions or just even if it's not in the moment, it's just like life right now is overwhelming or whatever it might be to sort of show good tools and skills as, as far as managing those. You just mentioned, Ryan, that we might um, model taking a break if we need to. Mm. And that was something I often did with my fifth graders. We had a chair in our room that was a designated break spot. So if you were feeling dis- unregulated, if you were feeling out of sync, you could go and just sit in that chair and close your eyes for a minute and take a couple deep breaths. And sometimes I would say to my students, I am feeling so frustrated right now. I have got to go take a break. And I would go and sit down in that chair mm-hmm. and do some slow, deep breathing. And, you know, they could see that I was elevated and my voice was often elevated. I'm feeling really frustrated right now. I just need to get away for a sec. So I would actually model what it looked like. And it was legit. I wasn't putting it on. Right. It wasn't this sort of fake modeling, but I was really showing how to take some slow, deep breaths. And when I came back, I'd be able to say okay, I'm feeling a little bit more settled now. Let's see if we can try this again. And so I think that's one kind of modeling. And then Anne Louise, I couldn't agree more that, that we can't be robotic. We shouldn't be. And so that also means we're going to blow it sometimes. So then we have an opportunity to model what it looks like to make amends when we do blow it. Mm-hmm. I remember this one time I was working with a fifth grader in my class and she was really hard. She was one of the, the hardest, most challenging kids I ever had. And she often just got really obstinate when she was feeling frustrated. So I was trying to work with her on long division or something like that. And she was just refusing. I don't care how to do it. Just give me the answer. <laughs> I would say, well, this is my job as a teacher to show you how to do it so you can get the answer. I don't care. This is stupid. It's the way she said that word. It's stupid. <laughs> I definitely knew how to push one of my buttons. So I took some deep breaths. I'd walk away. I'd say, okay, I'm going to work with some other people. I'll be back in a minute. And I'd come, I came back over and I sat down with her. And I said, okay, Haley, you know the deal. If you're, if you're really shutting down, then you can go see Lisa, who was our school counselor. And we were, I don't know, we were sitting right next to each other. Haley stuck her tongue out in my face, going like, Bleh! and I snapped. And I said, oh, that's nice. What do you do? And it felt so good to like let her have it. Like for a half a second, <laughs> it felt so good. And then I realized, I thought, you jerk. What was your goal? You were trying to hurt her. Like there was one kid in my classroom, if there was one kid who needed to see an adult manage their emotions more effectively 
and to not be the recipient of meanness from an adult, it was Haley. So she left the room. She went down to, she saw Lisa. And then when she came back, I met her at the doorway. And the first thing I did was I stuck out my hand and I said, Haley, I am so sorry for what I said. That was really mean. And I got to work at my self-control. And she Mm -hmm. said, yeah, I know. Thanks, Mr. A. Then she came in and we got back to work. But I think that's another part of it is that we need to give ourselves permission to be human. And that even when we do blow it, now we have an opportunity to to show what it looks like to be really sincerely apologetic and to try and repair relationships that we've damaged. Yeah, I think any of those tools, if we're showing or modeling them as an adult, then children see them as just kid stuff. So apologizing, it, it becomes like, well, kids do that, adults don't, or managing emotions, like like taking the time out, like to see an adult say, like, I'm frustrated, I need a time out and go use that same opportunity that they have, then timeouts aren't necessarily kids stuff. So there, there's so many things that adults do that kids aren't allowed to and vice versa, like that kids are expected to do, but adults aren't doing the same thing or modeling that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've always got my eye out for the double standard in schools. Mm-hmm. Even with simple things, like we often say to children, you're supposed to walk quietly in the hall. Some schools even have like a zero voice talking policy in the hallway where kids aren't allowed to talk as they walk in the halls. But then you watch the adults and the adults are calling down the hallway to each other. Hey, and Louise, what are you doing for lunch? You know, and and so what are we saying to kids about what it means Mm. to be in power? If the people in power get to do things, but the people without the power don't get to do them, I worry that we're modeling that you know, when you're grown up, it means that you've got the power and you can use that power over other people. And mm-hmm. I, I know that's certainly not one of my goals. So I always feel like if there are school-wide policies around you know, not having soda or walking on the right side of the hall or talking quietly in the hallways, the adults should be modeling those things first and foremost. Because if, mm-hmm. it's the, if the rules are just for the kids and not for the grownups, I really worry about the tone that sets. What are the impacts when you're able to turn that dial up to be really effective communicators? What happens in the classroom? Well, it's so powerful. I think a couple of things come to mind. One is um, we create a tone and a space where people can be learners. Learning is inherently risky. There's a great book by a colleague of mine, a good friend of mine, Tom Newkirk, called Embarrassment. And he makes the really compelling case that to be a learner is to be constantly risking embarrassment because it's, it feels embarrassing to make a mistake in front of other people. And so if, if you're not playing it safe and you're really taking learning risks, you're risking embarrassment. So when we have communication in a space that is kind and supportive and helpful, we can create the safe space that kids and adults need to take the healthy learning risks that will lead to really great learning. So I think for me, that's one of the first things that comes to mind is that if we're going to have a classroom environment, whether that's an online classroom environment or an at-school classroom environment where, um, where great learning can happen, it means that people have to feel safe enough to be a little bit vulnerable. So, so for me, that's, um, that's one of the potential, potential things that happens when we turn up the dial and the communication gets really good is that we feel safe enough to take good learning risks. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's it's a risk management tool. You know, we talked about it being connected to emotions. I completely relate to my own experiences growing up with feeling embarrassed by teachers because when I was wrong, it was very clear to everybody else and it was almost an adult saying like, "Well, you don't know that." 
so yeah, it, it's it's about creating a, a safe place for people to take risks in terms of learning, uh, and just feeling valued and, and and welcome goes a long way uh, in the classroom community. And if we have good communication that's clear, the impact intent or balance, like yeah, people are going to do so much better. I, I always just appreciate like the teachers that I've had where there is great communication, and I just felt really like. Like Mike was saying, I felt safe in the class to be who I was. And that was a little bit of struggle when it came to learning for me. And then just also just feeling like this person cared. Like that that was that was huge. Communication, again, the way that they were speaking and treating me made me felt like a, a, this teacher cared for me. So, I just liked being in that class almost regardless if I was ever learning anything or not. But I, I was. But yeah. Something else that comes to mind for me is um, it's very much connected to this idea of safety. As a teacher, I love to be playful. I love to joke with students. Um, I even love to tease students. But but there are cautions there. And as a teacher, sometimes in, in the spirit of trying to be playful and teasing, I would sometimes slide into sarcasm. Or if not sarcasm, kind of playful irony, <laughs> you know, where I would say one thing but really mean another. And that was that was setting a tone where it wasn't safe to be vulnerable. You know, if you're worried that you're going to be the butt of a joke if you make a mistake, even if even if the teacher is doing it with the idea of let's be playful, because if we're playful, then we can kind of take risks together. It doesn't mean we should never tease. I just think it's something we've got to be really cautious and thoughtful about. Uh, we can think about the way we joke and tease, making sure that it's not personal. Yeah, I just think I think, think there's a lot of energy there because there's a balancing act we have to play, I mm -hmm. think, between being playful you know, it's, it's sort of like we can laugh with each other, but we shouldn't laugh at each other. So there's sort of great power and potential in being playful. And there's also some danger there that we've we've got to watch out for, too. I think in some of my own practices of how I've been working on developing my language and the way that I communicate in schools, um, it's been more of identifying what I don't want to do and and not having as much clarity of like what to do, where it's like, all right, I'll, I'll carve that out. I will avoid that. I will steer away from that type of phrasing or language. And I wonder if each of you could speak to maybe one or two things that you do really intentionally, that you do incorporate and weave into your practice when you're communicating in schools that is really helpful to set the tone that you're looking for in the spaces that we're working in. I think for me, and it, hopefully the, where you're going with this question, but humor. Mike was just talking about being playful with students, and I try to bring that everywhere. I think, you know, and the ways we've, the teachers have really enjoyed this sort of fun that we bring to curriculum writing or uh, team meetings or whatever it might be, but it's sort of starting with that just a little bit of connecting time to to laugh and not talk about the work. I think that's always set a good tone is then people are feeling relaxed, potentially sort of comfortable or safe around the conversation and have been able to really get into the hard work or tougher conversations. Yeah. And, th and that's just for me. I, I love laughing. So it's like if, if I can walk in with a group and, and we can just laugh really hard for a while, it just like it sort of resets everything. And then we've, we've jumped into it. And, you know, we get the, you know, it's other groups during you know, like a curriculum writing session a couple summers ago with teachers, everybody was amazed at the end of the week when actually, Mike, you were there because you did a, a little keynote piece. But we were laughing and having a great time. And uh, so people were surprised at the end that we had done so much work. They're like, wait, what? But yeah, so trying to incorporate that um, sort of 
sense of fun into the communication actually ended up being a more productive than I think just heads down, dive again, let's write this stuff. Absolutely. We get so much more done when there's joy in the room. Um, so that was almost the exact way I was going to answer that question. <laughs> but as you were talking, I had a chance to think a little bit about something else I might add. And so I, I agree completely that having some humor and playfulness and joy in our communication is something I really work at intentionally. Something else I really work at is, is trying to make personal connections with people. So, um, for example, I was doing a webinar just recently and I was, I got on the call early and a couple of people came on early and found out that one of the people in the webinar graduated from the same high school as my wife, you know, cause I said, Oh, where are you from? And she said, Oh, I'm from, you know, Connecticut. And we talked about where in Connecticut and all of a sudden we found that they had gone to the same high school. And, um, and so I always try and both make personal connections with the people I'm working with and also help them make personal connections with each other so that we can really work at forming some, some, um, you know, common ground so that we can work together well. So this summer, I had the chance to teach a week-long graduate-level class on building a community of writers at the beginning of a school year in a writer's workshop. And because of where we're at in the world, with the, we did the entire week-long workshop on Zoom. So from 8 in the morning until 2.30 in the afternoon for five straight days, we did this graduate-level course. <laughs> and I think all of us were going in, we're kind of wondering how it was going to go. And by Friday people didn't want to leave. And they were all talking about how surprised they were at how close we all felt, even though we had never been in the same physical space together. And, and I'd like to think that at least part of that was the really intentional work that I'd been doing about sharing of myself a little bit, sharing stories about my kids, um, sharing stories from my experience, and, and also playing games together with the group that enabled us to find commonalities and to find personal connections with each other. Um, so I think that's something else I try and do really intentionally with communication. In thinking about communication, there's moments where we do make mistakes. And I think when you're communicating and you make a mistake in whatever you're saying or how you're communicating, is there a way that you respond in order to support everyone's learning around like modeling what to do in those moments? So just to write in the moment, try and fix the mistake that I made, or if it occurs to me later, you know, if later after the meeting or after the session, I'm thinking, boy, that, I'm worried that didn't really come out all that well. I'll reach out to whoever it was I was working with and just try and clarify and say, I just want to check to make sure that that came out the way I was hoping it would. So I think that's something that I try and do is just as soon as possible, name that I didn't communicate the way I intended, and then to try and, and try and fix that however I can. Yeah, I would say the same. And I've gotten much better at it. And it's, a, it's like a skill where at first it can be really scary to start uh, apologizing or checking in. Like, I, I just want to make sure that what I said and how you heard it sort of match up and, um, but you almost get used to it now. I just, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about different conversations and get much more comfortable going back and saying like, I'm not sure how this came off or I'm sorry. 
yeah, just the practice of of doing that and recognizing it. It because I think the more you do that, the more you become aware of your own language, so you get better of it. It's like part of the the learning to get uh, to become better at communicating is to sort of critique yourself and be able to recognize those things uh, sooner or in the moment, uh, and then respond to it in a way that's apologizing or clarifying. Is there anything that? either of you can identify as something that you're currently working on changing when it comes to communication. And this, I guess, could be expanded to in schools, but if you want to bring it into other contexts, you're open to doing that too. Yeah, I especially if we can take it into other contexts, I'm ready. Because I think one of the challenges that I've found is because I love to communicate um, in the moment with people, part of the communication is reading people's body language and feeling the energy in the room and looking at nuances of facial expressions. And, and so when communicating via Zoom, you lose a lot of that. So one of the things I've really been working at lately is trying to improve the way I communicate electronically and also sort of checking in with people in ways that I wouldn't necessarily need to if I was face-to-face. Mm-hmm. So for example, very often when I'm sharing some ideas, people might be thinking really hard about that. And sometimes people's thinking face is a frowny face. And it can be really easy to misinterpret that as somebody's upset with what they're hearing or somebody's not liking what I'm saying. And if I were in the room and we were face to face, it would be easier to sort of walk around from table to table and listen to people's conversations or read people's energy and and respond. And so now what I'm often doing is doing things like, I just need to get a check on the room. How are you all feeling right now about some of what we're thinking about? You know, thumbs up is you're all on board. You're really thinking hard about it. Thumbs to the side is you're not really sure. And thumbs down is you're not feeling good about it. So I'm trying to find other ways of sort of reading the room in an online space that that's just often a little bit different than it is in an in-person space. You said mine in, in there, and it was a more personal piece. And, and Zoom's actually helped a little bit because there's somewhat of a mirror to yourself. You can see yourself. And over the years, people have said it, it's hard sometimes to know if, if what, what your sort of stoic face is, is, is saying about your thoughts right now. Um, because my like, I, I disagree face is very similar to my I am so interested in what you're saying face. So I can see that sometimes even in the Zoom where I'm really interested in something that somebody's saying, but if you were to look at my face, you'd probably guess that I'm like in disagreement. I can see the, my, my brow and the, the little wrinkle in the middle of my forehead, all that pops up. And so I've been working on clarifying that. It's hard to sometimes rewire your, your facial expressions, but I can say more things and communicate a little bit clearer what's going on for me rather than just sitting and, and being quiet or with this face. So saying like, wow, that that's amazing. Like it just sort of blow my mind with those thoughts or yeah, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. I had a classroom coach once whose thinking face was a really concerned look Mm. and, and it took me a while to figure that out. So she would be observing a lesson that I was teaching and I would look back at her as she took notes and I would be thinking, what am I doing wrong? This must be awful. And then I would talk with her later and find that, find out she was thinking all kinds of great things. It was just that her thinking face was a concerned one. So yeah, that's a, a great thing potentially about Zoom is we get to practice some self-awareness about what our face looks like so that we can mm-hmm. make sure that our, our face is communicating what we're, what we're trying to communicate. I will say when I came up with this question, I took a moment in order to answer it for myself. And I had like, I allowed myself to go for three different things. And I was like, I could keep going. I feel like there's been 
such a heightened focus on communication because we're detached from that in-person that I'm reaching out to my family members who I'm not able to see in the same ways. And there's just been more of an emphasis on communication. I think the one that was really interesting uh, that surprised me, um, and this is very not school related, but I had a puppy join my household a month ago. I'm someone who in general is like um, kind of adapts to the world around me and uh, kind of just shape shifts and tries to work with whatever's going on. And when I have a puppy, I'm very much on her schedule. But the part that I that has related to interpersonal communication with other people is when I'm out and about and people are like, can I meet your dog? And I would love for them to meet her and I need them to approach slowly and I need them to like pause and I need to get the dog to refocus and calm down so that she's learning on how to meet people. And the way that I need to communicate in that moment is so much more directive and like with conviction of like, there's like a kid who's like, I want to meet the dog and like running. And I'm like, I want you to, but you need to stop. And then you need to like walk slowly. And it's a really big energy shift that I'm asking the people to do. And the way that I'm engaging with them is just so different than when I'm typically out in public where people just leave you alone. They then want to engage with something that I'm trying to work really hard to train and um, kind of support learning in that moment. So it's been a new world and a lot of new skills that I've had to develop really quickly in order to engage with people in those really brief interactions. I'm wondering as we start to wrap up, um, giving space to each of you to share, is there anything else about communication that you want to put out there that you want to say that we haven't quite said, or maybe just emphasize? I think something that comes to mind for me, and I guess it's maybe just something to re-emphasize, is the importance of, of adults modeling sort of what we want kids to grow into. Are we being the kind of person that we would want our kids to be? When we're happy, when we're upset, when we're confused, these are all opportunities to model adult behavior, and to recognize that we really do have a powerful influence. It's one of the most wonderful parts of working with kids and one of the scariest parts of working with kids is that we really do have a tremendous influence on, on how kids are going to be. And so just to make sure that whenever possible, we are being the kind of person that we would want our children to grow into is something I, I just always try and keep in mind. Yeah, that that's great. I think <laughs> I feel like Mike and I have agreed on a lot of things. Like, I always <laughs> kind of want to answer first. Yeah. If you wanted a lot of disagreement in this, yeah. you know, if you wanted a heated debate, you picked the wrong two people to talk. <laughs> I, I just he wanted to say, yeah, what he said. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's that the role modeling, and then I, I think I might add a little bit of like be like, consciously jump into trying to be better at this um, and take it on. And that's again, we didn't talk a lot about your your book, Mike, but I found it so valuable in being able to go so much deeper into the words that I use and how I, you know, it, it's, it's brought change. Um, and it's also sort of validated some other thoughts, you know, when I started saying like, I'm not sure if this sort of sarcasm or cynical sort of take on life is, is appropriate for fifth graders. And then that led to like, maybe nobody really likes it, or maybe I could do without it. 
And then to even then to jump into specific words in the way that you phrase things, it's just there's so much work that we could all do. You know, if anybody's like, I'm a great communicator, I'd be like, uh, prove it. Because I would never say that. I probably do fairly well, but I'm always trying to just get a little bit better. I think it's just worth our time, especially if we're working with young people, like you said, and we're modeling and we have an influence for better or worse. I think we owe it to people to develop some competencies in those areas so we can we can teach more than just math or science. Wow. We could teach them more. How do we get along? Yeah, the sort of human side of things, I guess. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> That's pretty much been this interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, you both have certainly made it easy in order to facilitate this conversation. I've so appreciated being able to spend the time talking more with both of you around this topic and also grateful for the ways that we've touched on so many other pieces because communication is that like just network, that web that connects people. And so the ways that we speak to emotions and to responding when we make mistakes and all of those different components that come up when we're in schools or just with other people was really valuable. So mm. thank you both. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This was really fun. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playpen. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs>